All right. Well, welcome to church. Glad you're here. Hey, if you're kind of new around here, we haven't met maybe. My name is Matthew, one of the pastors on staff, and it's a joy to be with you today on this Memorial Day weekend. If you have your Bible, join me in Ephesians chapter 6. Whether you've got the printed version or you prefer the digital version, whatever you got, get it out. We're going to explore some scripture today. We've been in this collection about becoming radiant people of God. What does it mean to be radiant as the people of God? Trying to remove the radioactivity of our humanity and become a little more radiant as the people of God. And one of the ways that we do that is by getting in the word, studying the word, and reading the word together. And uh, so we've, we've been encouraging you during this collection to bring your own Bible. And uh, at very minimum, we want to encourage you to write down the references. And then later this week, at your own pace, you can go back, find those scriptures in your own Bible, make some notes, read them together, and encounter the Lord in those scriptures. So that's what I would encourage you to do uh, as we get going. And most of you heard the announcement earlier this summer, uh, starting next month in June, we are doing five weeks of summer school, uh, where we're taking some various topics and mid-sized groups that you can sign up for, five Wednesdays in a row. We also have one class that's on a Thursday. It'll be five Thursdays in a row. Uh, in the month of June, into the beginning of July, um, as we study some, some different um, topics, if you will, as we grow in our understanding as the radiant people of God, knowing what God has taught in his word. And so I want to encourage you to check those out on our central hub. Are you in Ephesians chapter 6 yet? All right, here we go. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. It says this, a final word. Be strong in the Lord. Somebody say, strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Now, we talked about those things last week, how to, how to be aware of the schemes and strategies of the enemy, how he, how he whispers lies and convinces us of things that are not true, that placate to our own disordered desires and are normalized in a society of sinfulness so that we think it's normal to believe and live those lies. That's his main objective, but we can be strong, not in our own strength, but be strong in the Lord. And we talked about that this week. And he goes on to say this in verse 12. For we, all of us, are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor. Why? So that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. 
Now, when he says the day of evil, I want you to know that's the present age. That's the days of evil in which we live in now. And when he's saying when the battle is over, that doesn't mean like when you get better at life, when you have more money, more jobs, better, all the things. It's not like when all of life feels up and to the right and everything is good. It's, it's not when your neighbor that doesn't know how to clean up their dog poop poo moves away. It's not like when that battle is over. He's talking about the battle in terms of the end of all time. When Jesus returns... The battle will be over, and the Apostle Paul and your pastor want you to still be standing strong in the Lord, not having fallen away in your faith, which is possible to do. Both stand strong until the end or fall away in the meantime. We, don't want, either, we want you to be standing strong in the end, and we, we want to become radiant people in this process. Now, there are many things in the Bible that I believe when we come to, we can have great assurance and conviction around because the truth is really, really clear and it's there. There are other things as it relates to scripture that feel a little bit more mysterious. That we see as the Apostle Paul would write to the church in Corinth, we see through a glass, but that glass is a little bit foggy, it's a little bit murky. We can't see fully clear on the other side. There are some things that we see now, but there are some things that we don't fully see or able to articulate. They are a little bit mysterious. There is an element of who God is that is indeed mysterious. Some things that we won't fully know until we get on the other side of eternity. There are some things that we only can understand because your mind is mortal. Your mind is uh, not able to fully comprehend all that God knows. I want you to realize God knows more than you know. And if you could know everything about God, that would make you God. And there are some things in this world we just don't fully know. And I think it's okay to edge into some of those mysterious things, explore and understand what the word does say, and maybe where the word gives some room to some options that maybe we don't fully see or understand. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, the prophet is speaking and he says this. He says, my thoughts, speaking on God's behalf, are not like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's ways and views, there are some things that are in God's domain that we don't fully understand. And there are some reasons and processes and ways in which God acts that we don't fully get or understand. And there are some things you won't understand on this side of eternity. Why does somebody die young? Why is there so much pain and suffering? There are some glimpses of some of these truths that we get and we understand, but there are other things that we may not fully know or realize or understand until we get there, until we are known as he is known. Today, though, I want to talk to you about how to have a radiant spirituality. How do we have a radiant spirituality? Because the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and he's saying, hey, here's the final word. I want you to be strong in the Lord, but I want you to be strong in the Lord, being aware of the enemy's schemes. And what you need to understand about the enemy's schemes is there are some things in unseen realms and places that are dark, that are powerful, dare I say demonic. They are malevolent and evil and they want to see your life destroyed. 
but I want you to be strong in your spiritual life. I want you to be strong. Today, I want to walk through five things, five truths that I believe the word is pretty clear on. And we're going to look at a lot of scripture. And I'm going to do my level best to enter teacher mode a little bit and try to hold back preacher mode as much as I can so that we can learn some things together. And I realize it's a little unfair to all of the other instructors who are doing summer school. But this is like a great introduction for what I am going to be teaching all summer during summer school. And if it piques your interest and you've got some questions, you might want to go ahead and just make a decision to sign up for my summer school class. And what's fun about this, not only am I going to teach it in June for the adults, in July, I'm going to do a session of summer school just for teenagers and college students. And we're going to dive into this subject even more and answer all their fun questions, too. It's going to be a good time. Here we go. So teaching, here's, here's the first thing I want you to see today, is that we live in a supernatural world. It is a two-part world. It is both practical and physical, and it is spiritual and it is unseen. It is an overlapping reality of, in nature. There are some natural elements to it, but it is more supernatural than it is just natural. We live in a supernatural world. You, you are not just a body. You aren't just comprised of a soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. You are actually created as a spirit being. You are a spirit. You have a soul, mind, will, and emotions, and you live in a body. That's why what you do physically can impact your emotional reality. What you do physically does impact your spiritual reality. Going for a walk is not only good for your physical health, it is good for your mental health. A good long day's work where at the end of the day you look back and you're like, man, I got a lot accomplished. That sense of accomplishment is not just good for your body, it is good for your soul and good for your spirit. There are some things, uh, there are moments where what you need to do is get in the word, get in the presence of God, be in church around the people of God, and you need to be encouraged. Why? Because your spirit is feeling anemic and you need to feast and feed on spiritual things. But there are other times you need to take a nap and eat a Snickers bar because you are getting a little too hangry. It is an overlapping reality. When there is sickness in your body, there is both a spiritual component, a soul component, and a physical component that needs to be addressed for wholeness and healing, I believe, to be fully seen in your life. Why? Because you're not just a physical body being comprised of genes and codes with animalistic tendencies. What you do with your body impacts all of the other's reality. That's why there are some things in your life that feels dark. It feels like it's will, you cannot overcome. And you wake up on the wrong side of the bed and you're wondering, why in the world am I feeling and acting this way? It's not just a physical thing. It's also a spiritual thing. We live in an overlapping supernatural world. We are spiritual beings with a body. And I would... I would point out that our world currently is not looking for a religious experience. They are in hot pursuit of real spirituality. They are looking for anything to tap into the spiritual world to help them discover a truth and enlightenment that they have never yet discovered, but they are hungry and looking for it. 
We must be aware that we are spiritual human beings and there are many other quote-unquote spirits at work in our world. In his book, Simply Christian, N.T. Wright summarizes this supernatural world that we live in. And he's laying out the option of the Christian worldview when he says, Heaven and earth are not coterminous in this option. They are not separated by a great gulf. Instead, they overlap and interlock in a number of different ways. This can seem initially confusing after the clean either-or of pantheism and deism. But it is the kind of confusion we should welcome, or the kind of mystery, I would say, that we should welcome. It embraces the complexities which we ought to expect in human life, which is, in fact, as intricate and many-sided. It is easy to think that you have mastered Shakespeare's plays if all you have on the shelf are the comedies. When someone brings you all the other plays as well, the tragedies, the history plays, plus a volume or two of the great man's poetry for good measure, you will complain that the things are now getting very confusing and highly complex. But you're actually closer to understanding Shakespeare, not further away. Something like that happens when we turn from the ancient and modern philosophies of the non-Jewish world to the world of the Old Testament, the world of the ancient Israelites, the world that still forms the foundations for those two estranged sisters, Judaism and Christianity, and to a lesser extent, Islam. The Old Testament insists that God belongs in heaven and we as humans on earth. Yet it shows over and over again that the two spheres do indeed overlap so that God makes his presence known, seen, and heard within the sphere of the earth. It overlaps. It interacts and integrates. We live in a supernatural world. Let's build on that building block and let's look at the second truth I want you to see today. And that's this. Not only do we live in a supernatural world, but we can actually interact and catch a glimpse of the supernatural unseen world too. We can catch a glimpse and we can interact. We can interact in a good way, which is why Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth seen just like it is in heaven. Prayer is a vehicle through which we get the unseen of heaven seen and working in our world. That's the beauty of Jesus being incarnate. He came and left heaven put on flesh and bone so that you could see and behold the glory and beauty of who God is and learn how to have relational connection with God whom you cannot see. It's it's both and there's a way we can catch a glimpse there's a way we can catch a glimpse but that not only is a glimpse into the good and the beauty of where god is and how he longs to dwell and interact with his people that good overlap but there's also ways in which we interact that invite the evil and the dark of the unseen into our world and we see evil perpetuated in our lives and in our midst This is why for Jesus, it was very clear. There is an enemy out there trying to steal, kill, and destroy your life. There are malevolent forces. This is why Paul is writing and says there are powers. There's more going on. It's not flesh and blood that we're battling and struggling against. There's principalities. There's powers. There's rulers in the darkness and in the unseen. There's spiritual wickedness in unseen heavenly places. And you need to be aware 
that those things are there. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, God has given some things where he forbids his people to do certain acts because those acts interact with the evil in the unseen. Now, can I just logically think about something for just a minute? Put your logical brain on for just a minute. Set your emotions to the side. If God tells you not to do something, it's because it's possible to do it. If God tells you to do something, it's, he's telling you to do it because it's actually possible that you can do it. Are we tracking? So when God says in Deuteronomy 5, 7, and 9, you must not have any other gods but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image or anything in the heaven or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other God. If God is forbidding you to worship, adore, and interact with other gods, that's because there are other gods. No, 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 no. Now we're getting into the realm where we're like, okay, this seems a little bit mysterious, and I'm not really sure about all of this. This sounds a little bit out there. And I agree. But I think we need to see what's going on because if we're going to understand how to stay strong in the battle, in the, in the weariness, if we're going to be able to endure until the end when Jesus comes back, we need to understand the battle that we're facing. For the Apostle Paul, his mind has been shaped by these things. And God says, I don't want you to have any other God but me because there are other gods that they could worship and follow after. These aren't just fictitious things that are imaginary in their own mind. These are things that were real and anchored in the ancient times where they lived. Deuteronomy 18 takes it a step further and explains it even more. Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 14. When you enter the land your God is going to give you, be very careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations that were living there. For example, never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. And do not let your people practice fortune telling or use sorcery. Or interpret omens, that's like your crystals. Or engage in witchcraft. Or cast spells. Or function as mediums or psychics, like with tarot cards. and weed, or, or call forth the spirits of the dead, like with Ouija boards. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. It is because the other nations have done these detestable things that the Lord your God will drive them out ahead of you. But you must be blameless before the Lord your God. The nations you are about to displace consult sorcerers and fortune tellers. But the Lord your God forbids you to do such things. Why? Because we live in a supernatural world, number one. And number two, we can interact and access the unseen, both on the good in our worship for the God and for the evil in our pursuit of other doors that we open up and portals that allow us to access the evil in our midst. We can interact 
And instead of using the doorways of Ouija boards and horoscopes and trying to talk to our dead relatives and praying to them and hoping that they're there with us and sensing their auras and originality and rubbing our crystals together for good vibes and measures, hear me, in those moments we are interacting and accessing and using portals to interact with evil spiritual beings in the unseen realm. But Jesus said, I am the door and the way into God. There is no other way to get into God, to, no other way to have a relationship with God, no other way to interact with the, There is only one way to interact with the unseen world in a, in a good way that brings heaven to earth in a way that the spirit of God comes and lives on the inside of you and inside of me. The way that happens is through the door, Jesus Christ. And in John, he talks about, I am the door. I am the gatekeeper. No one gets in and no one gets out. They have to pass through. I I'm the way you access God. In other words, there is a way in which we interact with God in a good way, in the spiritual things in a good way, but there's also so many other deceiving ways that sound good and true but lead you to death and lead you to interact with things in the unseen realm that are evil and will ultimately bring about destruction and cloud your mind with darkness like we read about last week. And keep you bound and broken and bitter and unforgiving and addicted. And keep you dark-minded and depressed and always feeling gloomy even though everyone else is joyful. To keep you anxious and worried and fearful about everything. And the world tells you, oh, it's normal to worry about your kids. Oh, it's normal to have a little bit of fear. It's normal. That's okay. Why? Because lies that play to disorder desires that are normalized in a sinful society. And we live in a way where we can access these unseen. We live in a supernatural world, friends. That's the view of the Bible. And we can access the supernatural in ways in which, and we can talk to God or we can talk to other spirits and interact in those ways. And when you are trying to pray or talk to or sense the aura of your relatives who are dead and now disembodied, you are interacting and consulting with evil demons instead of the person you think you're interacting with. And it's like we drink in something that we were never meant to drink in. Now, I want to be really, really careful. I am not trying to articulate or distinguish right now between demon possession, demon oppression, demonic um, attacks. There are some distinctions to all of those things. That is not the point of the message today to talk about those things. I've encountered all of them in my life, and I've seen people set free from every one of those in my life. Why? Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as we'll hear in a little bit, he's the ultimate power and helps us stay strong in the Lord and his mighty power because he's the doorway to life everlasting. We live in a supernatural world. We can access it, both on the good side and the bad side. Number three, there are more spirit beings, or I will use the Hebrew word Elohim, than just Yahweh, which is the God of the Bible that we think about. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There are more Elohims that have been created by God 
that have existed before humanity came on the scene that live and operate in our world. And the Bible is full of talking about them. So you're going to hear me read some scripture in just a minute. And instead of reading the word God or angel or being, I'm going to use the word Elohim because that's the way it is in the original language. Elohim is a general term to to simply mean spiritual beings. Are we tracking? It's not to bring distinction or clarity as to who it is or the personhood or the personalness of it, just to talk about the generalities that they are there and they exist. Are we tracking? Let's look at Psalm chapter 8. Go to Psalm 8 with me. It's kind of right there in the middle of your Bible. I want you to see a couple sections here in Psalm. Psalm 8. Psalm chapter 8, and I'm going to read 3 through 6. For us today. Psalm 8, verse 3 through 6, it says this When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals? What are mere Adam? What are mere humans that you should think about them? Elohim, that you, or human beings, that you should care for them. You made them, humans, only a little lower than Elohim. And crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and everything that swims in the ocean's currents. He's saying you made humans a little bit lower in their power and their ability than Elohim. Now, in the New Living Translation, it capitalizes that word God, G-O-D. In the original language, it's actually not referencing God. The, the translators made a decision on what they thought it meant. Most translations in English that we have say angels. Elohim. But the word for angel is a, a little bit different. And that's why some translations would say God. And, and, and in our minds, we're like, well, why would we be lower? Everything is lower than God. That seems That's not really what they're saying because it's an Elohim. It's just a general statement. Now, I want you to see that he's talking about just general beings. In other words, God made humans with a little less power in the supernatural world than Elohim's spiritual beings. Now go with me to Psalm 82. If you're in Psalm 8, just kind of flip to the right a few pages and get to Psalm 82. And we're going to again see the difference of how the Bible is talking about that there are other spiritual beings other than just God Almighty, God of the Bible, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God who is. In other words, often in the Old Testament, you're going to hear it referred to as Elohim of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why are they giving those names? Because they're trying to help you distinguish which Elohim they're talking about. It's kind of like saying, yeah, I was talking to the man. Well, what man? Well, that man over there. Well, what man? Well, the man that was tall, that was here, that was there, he wore this and he was wearing this. Oh, okay, that man, got it, right? We're just trying to help us understand. That's what the ancient writers are doing. Psalm 82, starting in verse 1. God, Yahweh, presides over heaven's court. He pronounces judgment on the Elohim. So Elohim presides over heaven's court and he pronounces judgment on the Elohim. What in the world is he talking about? Well, if you keep reading, you get down to verse six and it's uh, verse five. It says uh, these Elohim, these wicked Elohim is who they're describing. Uh, They oppress uh, and they know nothing. They are ignorant. They wander about in darkness. Verse five with the whole world shaken to its core. 
Well, God doesn't wander about in darkness. He is light. There is no darkness in him. God doesn't wander around in light. Wherever God goes, light appears. So he's talking about other Elohim, other gods, other spiritual beings that operate in the dark. Why is he talking about? And he's talking about casting judgment in the courts of heaven on these Elohim. And he says, I say you are Elohim. You are gods. Verse 6, you are all children, offspring of the Most High. He's not talking about humans. He's talking about other Elohim, other beings created by Yahweh, the Elohim of all Elohims. But you will die like mere mortals and fall like every other ruler what's he talking about well it's this is the mindset that paul has and so when he's writing and he's saying there are spiritual beings in the unseen heavenly places they have power they have ruler they have hierarchy and they have dominion in certain spaces and places and the writer here in psalm is trying to tell you but don't worry there is judgment coming for them and though they are currently immortal When Jesus returns and the battle is over, Revelation tells us that all of hell, uh, all of the demons, all of the Elohim, all of the spiritual beings that are perpetuating evil around that have fallen and rebelled and continue to lead others to rebel against God will be thrown into a lake of fire for eternity. In other words, that which is immortal will experience mortality in that moment and be bound to their final doom. And so he's saying phrases like the sons of God, sons of Elohim, sons, these created beings were created by Yahweh. Psalms 86 verse 8 and 9 says this, no pagan God, lowercase g, no pagan Elohim is like you, O Lord. No, none can do what you do. All the nations you made will come and bow before you, Lord. They will praise your holy name. These other spiritual beings, these other Elohim, are fallen and false gods that are real and exist and can be worshipped and adored and, and their power experienced in the earth. But judgment is coming. And there is a hierarchy and a distinction within the kingdom of darkness. And their chief commander is the one named Lucifer, the bright and morning star according to Isaiah and Ezekiel. He's the leader and the commander of the powers of darkness. And Paul references him in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, which we read last week. That he's the prince trying to call the shots, leading a rebellion against God's ways and lands and his people. Now, we don't have time to go look at Deuteronomy 32, but this week I encourage you to go to read Deuteronomy 32. And you'll see in Deuteronomy 32 that that is the scene that we are given a glimpse into of the divine council where God has recognized these spiritual beings have been given certain territories and places to be a part of bringing about the kingdom being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth, subduing it and ruling it. Just like humans were created to do on earth, spiritual beings were created to do the same thing in the unseen because they're overlapping and interlocking. Now, I don't have time to get into that. You got to take my class this summer to find out more about that. Sounds really interesting, a little confusing, and a little bit trippy, and I agree about all of those things. 
And in Deuteronomy 32, you see a disinheritance of all of the nations. All of these rulers are being cast out. And Deuteronomy 32 plays into Paul's understanding of how the world is working, both seen and unseen. And so when Paul writes and he says there are rulers, there are principalities, there are powers, there are authorities, there are dominions and lords and thrones and world rulers all throughout Paul's writings, he is keenly aware that there has been a disinheritance of these spiritual beings who were originally set to rule and bring about the will of God, who have rebelled and now we're bringing about a rebellion against God. Much like Lucifer himself, their chief commander. Because there are more Elohim than just Yahweh in our world. Which is why it's important to know we live in a supernatural world. Which is why it's important to know that there are ways of interacting with the supernatural world, both good and bad. And why it's important to realize that there are other spiritual beings, not just God Almighty, at work trying to influence what is happening in the earth. How do we think about this? How do we come to this understanding? How do we really frame this thought? Well, there's a a book uh, that I've kind of read over the last year. It's called Deliverance. It's by a man by the name of John Thompson. He's a pastor up in Canada and a brilliant thinker. And he's kind of done some historical research on this. And there are several views that people have when we look at Paul's writings where he's talking about principalities and powers and rulers. Like, how do we make sense of all of this? If, if we're in a battle and it's not flesh and blood, but it is seen in our world, but it's unseen and the unseen, we're like, how do we like make sense of all of this? And he summarizes this in his book. He says, in practice, we have to decide how we're going to apply Paul's description in this passage, choosing whether to explain these terms as impersonal evil movements and influences in the world, or conclude that Paul was naming personal beings who work in various ways to carry out schemes of the devil in the world. Taken in whole, Paul consistently demonstrates his view that evil is personal, with real beings in the kingdom of darkness ranked to carry out mayhem in our world. These beings exist in the heavenlies, can function in and through movements, can directly attack an individual. To be clear, Paul was not using this demonic language to personalize bad stuff happening in the world. Pause. What's he trying to say? When you get stub your toe in the middle of the night on the bedpost, that wasn't a demon, that was your clumsy self, didn't turn on a light. Right? He's trying to tell you not everything that happens in the world is a result of the devil. Sometimes you're sick not because the devil is attacking you, but because you haven't slept good in three days and you've eaten like crap. All right, I'm going to get back to telling you theology and quit talking about negative plane. Some of you are like, dang, I guess I'm eating a salad for lunch and taking a nap. I lost my place. Jesus, help me. (laughs) Paul's practice gives us language and terminology to understand some of what Jesus had in mind when he spoke of these kinds of demonic things in Mark. The Bible, the battle space includes events happening in the spiritual realm up there, as well as classes 
clashes occurring in the worldly realm down here. Though these demonic beings are neither omnipresent nor unlimited, they may have significant global influence, familial capacities, and personal influence. Entire movements or chains of events may be traced back to specific demons. Political spheres may be under the control of demons. From a biblical point of view, it doesn't take much direct exposure to the, to the unseen evil demonic forces in our world before we discover a divergence in what the demons can do. Paul's overall language and tone remind us that the, that, that the mistake we make as Christians is confusing who the real enemy is and insisting on making enemies out of other humans. Human beings are not our true enemies. What inspires, drives, and twists them, that is. We are facing off against structured ranks of opposition arrayed against us, yet over which Jesus is still ultimately in control. And as John puts it well in 1 John 4, 4, you, dear children, are from God, and you have overcome them, the evil in our world, the demons, the evil powers, spiritual beings, and high places. You've overcome them. Why? Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside, literally, of every believer who has surrendered and say yes to Jesus. So the power in you is greater than the influential things that are coming against you. So that's why Paul writes and says, so be strong in the Lord. Not an impersonal Lord up in the big, up in the big sky, but a personal God, the spirit of God living in you, leading and guiding you each and every day. Why you build and feed your faith. There is no other God like Yahweh. That's point number four. There is no other God like Yahweh. Yes, we live in a supernatural world. Yes, we can interact with the unseen. Yes, there are other spiritual beings other than Yahweh in our world. And there is none of them that can touch him. There is no one like Yahweh. Everything created by God is under or has less power than God. Psalm 85, verse 5 through 9 in the ESV says, Let the heavens praise your wonder, O Lord, Yahweh, your faithfulness in the council of the holy ones, in the council of uh, the gods, in the council of the Elohim. For who in the skies can compare to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings, Elohim, is like the Lord? A God, Elohim, greatly to be feared in the council of the Elohim. And awesome above who are all around him. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are. O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the seas. When its waves rise, you still them. Chaotic waters in the sea were meant to be the place of the disembodied evil, the disembodied Elohim. So in biblical language, when it talks about raging seas and waters, they're actually talking about activity of the spiritual forces that are evil at work in their world. So, ready for your mind to be blown? When Jesus walked on water, 
He was walking, declaring, my power is greater than spiritual beings. When the rages and the storms were rolling all around and the disciples were so terrified that they were going to crash and die in the sea, Jesus stood up, he rebuked the waves, and he spoke to the wind. What was he doing? He was declaring spiritual authority in the unseen realm so that everything settles in what is seen. It was a gauntlet and a battle of evil forces coming against Yahweh in the flesh of Jesus. It wasn't just some scientific anomaly to prove that Jesus was the Son of God. It was that, but it also had spiritual implications because there is no other like Yahweh. And here's the last thought today. The evil times are right now. We live in the evil day. But we can stand and resist. Why? Because God says that we can. Remember back to the very beginning, if God tells you not to do something, it's because it's possible to do it and it's real and it exists. And there are consequences and ramifications for those actions. But when God tells you you can do something, it's because you can do something. That it's possible to stand and be strong. Friends, the idea in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul's final word to the church in Ephesus, he was trying to let them know, friends, I want you to persevere until the Lord returns so that you can experience ultimate salvation when he returns. So that you don't get taken out by the enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy you and your family. So that addiction to drugs doesn't ruin your life, but instead you find victory over it in your life. So that the, the cycle of poverty in your family that has kept you at a disadvantage no longer keeps you at a disadvantage. So you can learn and grow and break out of those things. So the cycle of divorce between your family that's happened in every generation before you you can stand up and resist the bitterness and resist the arguments and resist the selfishness and instead choose love and win in your marriage instead of get defeated and broken like everybody else around you. You can break the odds. You can overcome the anxiety and the depression doesn't have to rule you and define who you are anymore. Are there physical realities to that? 100%. Are there emotional, mind, will, and emotion things that you need to do to overcome that and break out of it? Absolutely there is. Are there spiritual components at play? Absolutely there is. Rebellion is bound in the heart of every child born. We're all born with a desire to rebel and live like the world around us and be influenced in that ways to run from God, to run from the truth of what it is, but we can hold our ground. And when he says, be strong in the Lord, stand firm then, he's telling you to take a military position of strength. The military position of strength was to get to, don't miss this, please don't miss this biblical uh, um, metaphor. He's telling you to stand your ground. He's telling you to stand on the higher ground in a fortified city because the enemy has to climb uphill 
because the more powerful army is the one in a position of power where the others are at a disadvantage because they're having to climb up. Friends, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher. His power is higher. His love is greater. His truth is stronger to break every addiction, to break every bondage, to break every stronghold. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. I'm preaching more than I'm teaching just in case you were wondering. 2 Corinthians 10, Paul writes and he says, Friends, we are humans, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. And we capture those rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Because the way the enemy wants to wage war is a battle for ideas, a battle for what is true. And we have to be able to tear down those arguments and dismantle them because we have found the truth. Friends, if you want to have a radiant spirituality, hear me. We cannot live a radiant spirituality through our own opinions, intellect, and rationale. We need God's truth. If you want to stay strong against the attacks of the enemy in your life, read your Bible. Sign up for summer school so people can teach you how to read your Bible so that you can grow in your knowledge of what is true and understand and learn and grow. Reading your Bible isn't just about a spiritual, relational, emotional connection with God. There's a component to that. It's great. I love devotional reading. But reading the word is about you discovering what is true and anchoring your thoughts to something higher than your own opinion, rationale, and some new stock radio. Helps you get beyond the crap that's... Ah, sorry, I'm getting... Oh, hold on. Some TikTok theologian that's spreading some deistic spirituality that has nothing to do with the truth of who God is. Where people are on there live reading, telling you what they've discovered in the unseen realm and they haven't accessed it through God because there's only one door to the unseen and it's Jesus Christ. And you're entertaining demons and you don't even know it. We cannot live a radiant spirituality because of your own opinions and your own rationale. You need the truth of God's word. So here's my challenge. Number one, sign up for summer school. Make the commitment five weeks to learn and grow in your understanding and knowledge of what is true in God's word. Pick a, pick a class. Great options for you. Number two, this week, read all of the book of Ephesians twice. Three, three chapters a day will get you through it really quick. There's only six. Ten minutes of reading tops. You'll get through the book of Ephesians twice this week. Read Deuteronomy 32. Read Psalm 82 this week. Go back through the scriptures that we read and read your Bible. Why? Because I don't want to see you taken out when the Lord returns. I want you to endure and persevere with all of the saints until the end. I want to see you become radiant.
I'm not trying to give you some legalistic religion thing. It's, it's for the birds. I ain't got time for that. I want you to grow radiant in who God has made you to be so you don't get taken out by the enemy so that your kids and my kids aren't taken out by the gods of this age where we're sacrificing to the gods of the world just because and we don't even realize it. Let's be radiant people of God who search and know and get acquainted with the truth of God's word. Standing firm in our faith. Amen? Hey, can we, can we stand together?